inside. I mean, God's word grew them. They responded to God's word. They were hearing it preached and taught, and they were talking about it as a group, and it grew them spiritually. And Paul highlighted that throughout First and Second Thessalonians, how grateful and thankful he was that the people of Thessalonica were growing in their faith because of God's word and how they were responding to God's word. And so we wrapped up First and Second Thessalonians by talking about how we've got to make sure that God's word is playing a, a big priority in our life as well, that we are prioritizing our involvement in God's word regularly. And we've tried to emphasize it from a weekly perspective. So how much time are you spending in God's word in a week? And I told you that my desire is that it be hours, that hours we are spending in God's word over the course of a week, that that doesn't necessarily have to break down into hours in a day, but that over the course of a week, we look back and we say, I've been faithful. I've been faithful to walk in the spirit by being in the word so that I can respond to the word, and that's been hours at a time over the course of this week. And so I've been trying to point you in that direction as a church, trying to give you the tools to succeed in that area. We've been talking about uh, pairing you guys up uh, with people who feel like they know how to study God's word, and then for those that don't know how to study God's word on their own, feel insufficient, feel inadequate in that area, then we want to grow you up in that area. That ultimately, discipleship here at Sovereign Hope means teaching other people how to teach themselves through God's word. And so we want to make sure everybody is equipped to do that. And so we continue that idea this morning, kind of following up what we did last week. We talked last week about just the Bible as a whole, talking about the major theme of Scripture, that Scripture is telling one story, and that's God's plan to save man from his sin through Christ for his glory forever. We talked about how we got the Bible that we read um, Every week, every day, we talked about the canon and how the Bible was put together. We talked about the, um, the criteria that was used in, in bringing all of that together. Uh, we talked about how we can be sure that we have the correct books, that ultimately God is serious about his word. We looked at some different passages where God was very serious in his warnings that people better not add to his word and people better not take away from his word. And because God is serious about the correct canon, we can trust that God has overseen the whole process. So even if you can't, you know, in detail, tell me how the Bible was put together, we can trust every day as we go to the word. Every week as we spend time in God's word, we can trust that what we are reading and studying is exactly what God intended us to have. Because he's serious about his word being correct. That people aren't adding to it. People aren't taking away from it. So we don't have to worry that there are books that have been added to our Bible that don't belong there. We don't have to worry about there being books that are still missing that have not yet been added to scripture. That God is serious about his word. And so we can trust that he was serious about the putting together of his word. Today I want us to walk through the New Testament together. Uh, the purpose being that I want to make sure that we have a knowledge of the New Testament in such a way that as we talk about studying God's Word on our own, that you know where to go in the New Testament specifically. Because that's where we're going to encourage you to start if you don't have a regular pattern of study in your life and you're working towards that, then I'm going to encourage you to stay in the New Testament for now until that becomes a regular discipline. Um, and so I want you to be aware of what the New Testament teaches um, because we want to encourage you to be in a book of the Bible, specifically studying through a book of the Bible on your own. And so I want to highlight what the New Testament teaches today. 
so that as we begin to have these conversations of teaching you how to study the Bible, that you've got some groundwork, a foundation to work off of as far as where are you going to go to study the Bible now? What book are you going to choose? Um, I don't want to tell you what book to study. I don't want somebody else telling you what book to study. I want you to embrace what the Holy Spirit is leading in your life to say, hey, I need to study this. I want to know more about this. I feel like this is an area that's lacking in my faith. Because we talked about in First and Second Thessalonians that Paul identified areas that the Thessalonians were lacking, things that they needed to know. And so he, he helped to uh, strengthen their faith in those areas. And so we want to work with you in that. So I hope that working through the New Testament together uh, can help you in that process. The other reason for going through this is that I want us to have a good understanding of what the New Testament teaches for our own knowledge and understanding of God's word. Um, I've been reading and studying some by Mark Dever recently, and and he, um, I forget how long exactly it took, I think at least two years, he did a survey of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He taught on a different different book of the Bible every week. Um, and his, his goal was, is I want my people to be familiar with God's word. I want them to know where to go when they're looking for certain things in God's word. I want them to be so familiar with it that when uh, somebody asks them a question about something, they know where to go in the New Testament to point them to instruction about that. Um, so we're going to do a little activity like we did last week to see how well we know the New Testament. We won't write down our answers this time. I'll just give you some time to think about it, and then I'll see if uh, we can get some correct answers. So I'm going to give you a, a topic, and I want you to think through where in the New Testament, what book of the New Testament you think that topic is mainly addressed. Like where is the go-to passage for that topic? Okay, so we'll see how well we know the New Testament today, all right? If, if I was wanting to discuss with somebody uh, the dangers and the responsibility that we have in the way we use our tongue, what book of the Bible would I go to? Think about it for a second. If you don't know, think about it. And where would we go for a discussion on the dangers and the responsibility of how we use our tongue. Anybody? James. Okay. If if I was wanting to take somebody and discuss with them the um, the Bible's teaching on whether we should sue or not sue people, where would I go to understand a biblical perspective on suing other people? Anybody? Corinthians is safe. You got to tell me first or second. Of? Of what? First Corinthians. First Corinthians. We don't sue as Christians. Um, if I wanted to describe to somebody the relationship of Christ and the first Adam, where am I going to go? First Adam, second Adam, the correlation between the Adam in the garden and the new Adam, Jesus Christ. Where am I going? Anybody? To Romans. We're going to the book of Romans. 
Where am I going to have a discussion on the qualifications of an elder? All right, we're going to Titus and First Timothy. Where am I going to discuss the armor of God? To Ephesians. Where am I going to discuss the illustration of how a Christian is supposed to be a good and faithful soldier? Where is the best passage that deals with the Christian life being a soldier? Who fights the fight. Second Timothy, good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's discussed. Do you know where? Oh, it might be in Galatians. We talked about it in first and second Thessalonians too. I mean it's talked about in other portions. But if we're doing a disciple now on the armor of God, we're going to Ephesians. Um, where am I going for deacon qualifications? First Timothy. Elders is in First Timothy and Titus, but deacons is only in First Timothy. Uh, where are we going for the major discussion on uh, Christ returning in the this is where the discussion about the rapture would be. Um, where are we going for that? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. I did teach on that, yeah. Uh, where are we going for a detailed example of the humility of Christ? To Philippians. Okay? We're going to work through the entire New Testament today. And um, we will highlight different uh, key aspects of each book of the Bible. Your notes today were intentionally left blank because there's just way too much information to really make notes for. So I want you to jot down anything that specifically stands out to you that you want to remember, knowing that I'm going to post this information on our Matt 28 website as a New Testament overview for you to be able to go to and refer to. So any of the notes that you want from today will be posted on the Matt 28 website. Um, what I want to do is, in highlighting each book of the Bible, I want us to cover um, the book, who wrote it, and the major themes of that book. Okay, and for some of the books, we're going to look at some key verses within those books. But I want to kind of walk through and highlight the major teachings of each book. Again, I want you thinking from the perspective, where am I going to study God's Word next? Like, in this whole idea of teaching ourselves from the Word... Where are you going to engage God's word next? Now, for some of you that know how to study the Bible, you might be studying it differently. Maybe you're not studying it from a book-by-book perspective. But for those that are saying, I don't know how to study the Bible, this is really how we're going to emphasize to you studying the Bible. Um, It's the easiest way to teach you how to study the Bible. I could try to teach you how how I study topically, but some of that's based on... Uh, personality, learning tendencies, that type of thing. So me teaching you how I study uh, topically, one's going to cost you a lot of money because I buy a lot of books when I'm studying topically. Um, And and so I'm going to teach you how to study book by book. um, And that's where I want us to move as a church for those that don't already know how to study the Bible. So again, I want you to hear 
our discussion today based on um, you evaluating where you want to study God's word next. We talked last week about the New Testament being uh, understood as promises kept. We said the Old Testament, God makes promises. He, he begins to reveal that plan. And we said that from Genesis to Revelation, there is a steady increase of how God plans to do things. So we learn a little bit more as we work through the Bible about God's plan to save. The New Testament, it's all about God keeping his promises that he made in the Old Testament. Uh, specifically, we said that the New Testament is structured in a way where we understand who Christ is. Then we understand the, the life of Christ and how it affects his followers. And then ultimately, the New Testament ends with us understanding how Christ comes to fix everything, the recreation of all things. So Christ, his people, and then creation. So we work from Christ. We get a little bit bigger talking about God's people. And then ultimately, how Christ plans to fix Everything. We said the Old Testament riddle that we find in Exodus 34 7. How does God um, forgive sinners and not simply wipe away their sin, not just forget about their sin? How does He um, allow sinners into His presence? And we see that riddle solved in the New Testament through Christ. We highlighted last week that Jesus is the temple of the Old Testament. He is the ultimate priest of the Old Testament. He is the ultimate sacrifice. Of the Old Testament. He's everything that the Old Testament could not provide. The Old Testament is meant to point us to Christ. The Old Testament was meant to teach people that were in that covenant that they could never keep that covenant. That if left in that covenant, they would always have to offer sacrifices. That they would never be able to say, We're done. We graduated. We don't have to do this anymore. All our sins are atoned for. All of that was a picture. It was meant to point to Christ. And Jesus even refers to it that way in Luke 24:47 on the road to Emmaus when he talks to his two disciples and tells them how the entire Old Testament is about him. So we start as we work through the Old Testament talking about the gospel and the book of Acts. The gospel and the book of Acts. The gospel and the book of Acts, they are narrative accounts that prove that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the narrative version of the New Testament. There's a lot of narrative in the Old Testament which is just storytelling. Um, the Gospels and the book of Acts is where we get the narrative in the New Testament. It's narrative accounts that prove Jesus is the Messiah. These five books work to show us that Jesus is the promised prophet to Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God promises that he is sending the ultimate prophet one day that people will listen to, that will have the words of God in his mouth and people will respond to it. He's also the promised king given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God tells David that he will allow his son to build the temple, but that ultimately he will establish David's throne forever. He will establish David's kingdom forever. Now the kingdom ends up getting split after Solomon. So obviously Solomon wasn't the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment, the ultimate king that comes, the king that was promised to David as his descendant. He's also the son of man seen by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. He's the son of man that comes on the clouds. So we start by looking at these four gospels and then the book of Acts, the book of Matthew. Matthew was written by the disciple. We learned, we talked last week about the 12 disciples. Matthew is the disciple that writes this book, this gospel, and he writes it specifically to Jewish people. So as you're thinking through the different Gospels, remember that Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, which means the things that Matthew 
uh, relates in his gospel are going to be from a Jewish perspective. The purpose or the theme of the book of Matthew is to show that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. A lot of times people like to remember Matthew as referring to Christ as king. He's seen as king. Now, I'm thankful that we have four Gospels because they all highlight different aspects of Jesus' ministry. And I was talking to my sixth graders about this recently. The, the advantage and the benefit is, is that we have some of, the, some of the writers of the Gospels that mention things that the other ones don't. Because certain things stand out to them. Certain things were important to them that maybe the others didn't necessarily value as much. I mean, their, their time and their ability to write was limited. And they say, look, if we wrote everything, like the, the world couldn't contain the books that it would take to tell you everything that we saw and were taught. We, did, we just wouldn't have time to write it all. And so they had to specifically pick out things from a purpose that they had in writing. And, and if I were to have four of you write about um, our church plant, okay, let's just say that I had four of you write, what have things been like since we began this church? Some of you would mention things that the other ones wouldn't even think to mention. Some of you experience things as a part of this church plant that, that others haven't, and so you wouldn't even think to write about it. Others of you would, 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 or together, you would mention some of the same things. I mean, they, they would stand out equally to the four of you, and so you would all highlight those things. That's what we find in the gospel accounts here. Some things stand out to Matthew that don't stand out to the others. And so they write from a certain perspective wanting to emphasize specific things, and so Matthew writes emphasizing to a Jewish audience that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for. Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Anybody know specifically who wrote this book? Besides just Mark. He wrote based on Peter's uh, understanding of Jesus' ministry, most likely. But who is this Mark? Because he's mentioned other places in the New Testament. He's John Mark, okay? John Mark that, that starts off with Paul, but then eventually leaves Paul, and then eventually comes back to Paul. Okay, so this is John Mark who writes the book of Mark. It's probably based on Peter's recollections. So it's, it's, it's to a degree, Peter's gospel. It's Peter's account written by Mark or John Mark. Um, we know that John, Mark, and Peter had a close connection with each other in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. So this is one of those things where Mark's not, or John Mark's not a disciple. He's not an apostle, but he does have close connections with one. Um, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So some of the early... Uh, church meetings were taking place in his house. And then 1 Peter 5.13, he gets like the ultimate compliment. Uh, 1 Peter 5.13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sings you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. And this isn't Peter's literal son. It's more than likely talking about the fact that this is my spiritual son. We talk a lot about the relationship that Paul and Timothy had with each other. I think we have a similar relationship potentially here between Peter and John Mark. This is my guy. This is my boy. 
Um, this guy has been with me. I've invested my life in him. And so it makes sense that John Mark would be the one that would write Peter's account of the gospel. Um, he writes to Roman Christians. He writes to Roman Christians. And he presents Jesus as a servant, the suffering servant. The book of Luke, Luke writes to Gentiles, specifically to a man named Theophilus in Luke chapter 1. And so much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginnings were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, we don't know specifically who this guy is. He, he's, he's most likely well-known. He's most likely um, well thought of and, and maybe... Um, an important person in that society. I love what Luke says, though, for his reason for writing this, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He writes his gospel to give this guy assurance that things that he has already learned are true. The things that he has already learned are true. And so as we read the book of Luke, as we study the gospel of Luke, it's a reminder to us that these are meant to, to help us be certain of the fact that what we know about Jesus is true. Luke also writes the book of Acts, which is typically viewed as a continuation of his gospel. It's even thought that maybe originally it was all one thing. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. So if we view it as, as one, one recollection, one account, then, then Luke by far would have the, the longest gospel. Um, and Luke's the only one that gives us such detailed insight into what took place after Jesus' ascension. Um, the book of Luke is a, uh, him compiling information, as he talks about in Luke chapter 1, things that he's heard from others, things that he's been taught from others. He quotes Mark's gospel about 60% of the time. So if you were to study Luke and Mark together, you would find that mo a lot of the information is repeated, sometimes word for word. So it's obvious that Luke relied on others and, and their accounts and their information as he wrote his own gospel, his own account of Jesus' life. His purpose or theme is to show that Jesus comes for all nations. To show that Jesus comes for all nations. Yes, he's the fulfillment of of Old Testament prophecies, but specifically he wants to show that he's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies concerning the Gentiles, that Jesus has come to save all nations. He shows Christ to be the Son of Man. So Matthew, Christ is King. Mark, Christ is Servant. Luke, Christ as the Son of Man. Then we come to the Gospel of John. John the disciple writes to both Jews and Gentiles. The purpose or the theme is to show that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but he's God in flesh. While Matthew and Luke start their genealogies talking about Jesus' birth and starting with the Christmas story, John goes all the way back before the, before the creation of the world to identify Jesus. 
His purpose is to show him to be more than just a man, more than just a Messiah, but to be God in flesh. So you see a lot of um, deity talk in the book of John. He's God in flesh. He's the son of God. In John twenty thirty one. John describes to us the reason for writing. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, the Gospels are meant to prove that Jesus is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. Jumping back now to the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke again. He writes part two of his Gospel. He wants to show how the gospel goes everywhere. Chapters 1 through 12, if you want to kind of understand how Acts is broken up. Uh, In chapters 1 through 12, it focuses on Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Chapters 1 through 12 focuses on Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And then chapters 13 through 28 focus on Paul's journeys. We start in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth with Paul's three missionary journeys. The purpose or the theme of the book of Acts is to show how Jesus expands his church through the spirit. It's how the resurrection of Christ impacted his followers. There's ten sermons in the book of Acts. Five by Peter, four by Paul, one by Stephen. And they all emphasize Jesus. In Acts 13.39. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. We've talked about before, uh, I think back around Easter time, that... um, If you study these sermons, these ten sermons in the book of Acts, rarely are they talking about the life of Jesus. Rarely do they talk about the example that Jesus has set for us. Their message was the resurrection. And the book of Acts is built off of the resurrection and the impact that the resurrection had on the followers of Jesus. People were responding to the gospel regularly because the resurrection was being talked about regularly. Not just the life of Christ, not just his example, things that he taught, but his literal resurrection, a fact-based sermon. Not an opinion thing. What do you think about Jesus' teaching on this? It was Jesus came back from the dead. That has big implications because we've never heard of somebody bringing themselves back from the dead. So that was big. That was huge. That was important. And that's what caused the church to grow so rapidly. After the book of Acts, we come to what's known as the epistles. The epistles. These are letters to churches that show in detail the transforming work of Christ. Letters to the different churches that show in detail the transforming work by Christ to make his people reflect his image. As you work your way through the epistles, you find that they all together in unity talk about what it means to have been saved, what it means to be in the process of being saved and what it looks like to eventually fully be saved. You see different aspects of salvation talked about through all these epistles. What it means to be saved, to to have that taken care of, dealt with. 
a, a past tense type thing in the life of true Christians. You have been saved. But then there's the whole discussion about what it looks like to be saved on a daily basis. That process of your salvation being worked out. And then ultimately the hope that we have of future salvation. Where all this gets fixed. Where our sin is completely dealt with. And we're completely renewed in the image of Christ. The epistles illustrate what it means to live as the special special covenant people of God. What it means to be distinct from the rest of the world. They explain the significance of the person and work of Christ. And the implications it has on us until he returns. If you're looking through your, your table of contents, Paul writes the first 13 letters that we have in our, in our New Testament. And they're grouped accordingly for that. So they're not grouped in, in the order that Paul wrote them. They're not grouped in any chronological order. They're grouped by writers, typically, or, or basically. So you've got Paul, who wrote, writes the first 13. They're ordered from longest to shortest. Goes from churches down to individuals. Just to kind of understand why our New Testament is put together the way that it is. Because as you start to study background information, you find that uh, Galatians or 1 Thessalonians was probably the first letter written by Paul. But they're not obviously put at the first of his letters. So they're ordered based on longest to shortest, churches down to individuals. We start with the book of Romans. Paul writes to the church at Rome, explaining to them why we need salvation how to gain salvation, and what to do with salvation. Book of Romans is my favorite book of the Bible uh, because it's, it's, in a sense, a, a type of systematic theology book. Um, it's not written on the same personal level as some of the other epistles in the New Testament. You don't have as much discussion going on with what's actually going on in your church. It's more a generalization. This is what's true of church. This is what's true of life in Christ. And, and I kind of break it up in my understanding. It starts with telling us why we need Jesus. I mean, it starts with a doctrinal discourse on why every single individual needs Christ. The heathen, the churchgoer, the Jewish guy, like all these people that think they have a reason for an excuse before God. The heathen guy who never heard about Jesus. Well, you're still held accountable. The Jewish guy who says, I'm part of God's chosen people. Surely I'm good before God. No, you're not good either. Paul works through like a, like a courtroom, bringing uh, evidence after evidence for why people are guilty before God. Then he gives a, a doctrinal discourse on how we're saved. And he explains how salvation works the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's always by faith. And he uses Abraham as the illustration for that. And then at the end of the book, he begins to describe to us what now life looks like because we're saved. So why do we need to get saved? How do we get saved? What does life look like now that we are saved? The purpose or the theme, God is faithful to the covenant through Christ. He provides righteousness to us by faith, just like he did in the Old Testament with Abraham. He shows us that everybody needs justification. You don't get it by what you do. It's only through Christ by faith and that all get it this way. Salvation works the same for everybody. It's by faith alone. But then, like I said, as he describes, faith never comes alone. It always leads to a changed life. I love, I was, I was reading what Mark Dever was saying about in his Roman sermon that he did to his people. And he said he was having a conversation with a guy who was not a believer and just wasn't getting it. Like just wasn't understanding the gospel. And he said this guy would ask questions and he would think like, oh, he needs to read Romans chapter one. Ah, oh, he definitely needs to read Romans chapter four. He needs to read Romans chapter three. And he finally just said, what are you doing for the next two and a half hours? 
And the guy said, well, I don't really have anything to do. And he said, well, come back to, to my office and let's just sit down and read Romans together. So he just started reading through Romans with the guy and, and was able to explain the gospel. And the guy would ask questions. And, and it, Mark never said it was so cool because he would ask questions that he knew Paul was going to answer in the very next chapter. And so it's really cool to see how divinely inspired Paul is in writing the book of Romans that he lays out the gospel for us and lays it out in a way that helps us to understand the depths of it as he even anticipates questions that we might ask. So Romans is all about justification, what it means to be saved in Christ and how we are all saved the same way. First and second Corinthians, Paul writes to the church at Corinth in these two letters. They're most likely a, res- a response to a letter that he got from them um, because he seems to highlight that he is responding to questions that they have, things that they've asked him about. The purpose or the theme of First and Second Corinthians is to show how a church should look in a secular society. How should a church look in the midst of a secular society? He describes the fact that a church should be holy, unified, and loving. Deals with a lot of important topical matters. Uh, first and second Corinthians, first and second Corinthians um, is a are important letters when we want to address certain topics in Scripture. Church discipline. Paul lays out church discipline and what was going on with the church at Corinth. He deals with marriage. He deals with the Lord's Supper. When we talk about the Lord's Supper here, we're typically going either to the Gospels where Jesus talks about it, or we're going to First Corinthians where Paul talks about it. Uh, this is where we talk about spiritual gifts a lot. We have the First Corinthians 13 chapter on love. This is also where we deal with um, the resurrection, First Corinthians, uh, where, where Paul lays out this is, what, this is the truth of the resurrection. This is where I got it. This is, this is where, how it unfolded um, and the importance of the resurrection. Book two specifically is a defense of his ministry. Him, him having to call the church to understand that he is called by God in the midst of people attacking his ministry. The book of Galatians. Galatians is, is written by Paul again to the church at Galatia. The purpose or the theme is to attack the legalistic mindset that Christians are prone to fall into by reminding him of the true gospel from God. So Galatians attacks our tendencies to want to go back to a works-based mentality, to fall back into the temptation that thinking God loves me if I do things for him. God loves me more if I do more good things for him. And God hates me if I do bad things. He attacks that legalistic mindset of seeking to do things to earn God's favor. It's an attack against the gospel when we fall prey to that type of thinking. And false teachers were trying to lure the Galatians back into that mindset. False teachers today try to lure people back into that mindset. When Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your door and knock on your door and say, you need to be a part of our church, they want to draw you into a legalistic mindset of trying to obey to earn satisfaction from Christ. Paul says, you stay away from that. I don't care who shows up at your door. I don't care if it's an angel that shows up at your door. Do not listen to a gospel that is contrary to our gospel. And Paul even goes on to say, it's not my gospel. It's not something that I came up with. It's not my religion that I started. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. He identifies what he's about to say is coming not through man, but through Jesus Christ. In verse 8, 
even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, we preach to you, let him be accursed. Verse 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about an attack against anything that is an attack on the gospel. He attacks everything that would seek to shatter our understanding of grace by faith. It's an attack on the gospel when people want to come in and start teaching obedience for God's favor. Galatians is all about not falling prey to that temptation to be legalistic once again, thinking that we can earn God's favor through our obedience. The book of Ephesians, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, the purpose or the theme of the book of Ephesians is to show that the church God is creating is the church he always planned to create. The church that God is creating is the one that he's always intended to create. It's a new society based on his grace that includes Jews and Gentiles. It's it's always been intended to be that way. It's not plan B that God now includes the Gentiles. That was always the plan from the beginning to include Gentiles. If you're wanting to better understand some of the difficult doctrines of of what does it mean to be chosen, what what does God mean when he refers to people as elect, all that kind of stuff, Ephesians is all about that. It gives us a biblical understanding of some of those difficult doctrines. It's the church that God always intended to create. If you want to kind of understand how Ephesians is broken down, chapters 1 through 3, is the identity um, of God and what he's done. The identity of God and what he's done. And then chapters 4 through 6 is what we must do to live out our new identity. Chapters 4 through 6, what we must do to live out our new identity. The book of Philippians, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and I think it's significant to know that he writes it while he's in prison. He writes the book of Philippians while he is in prison. The purpose or the theme of the book of Philippians is to show the unity that exists within the church for the sake of the gospel. The unity that must exist within the church for the sake of the gospel. It also wants to show us that biblical joy rests in God's sovereignty, not our circumstances. And that's why it's significant to know that Paul's writing from jail. Because his circumstances are the worst at that time. So when he says biblical joy rests not in our circumstances, but in the fact that God is in control, he has the authority to say that because he's finding joy in prison. He's finding joy in being persecuted for his faith. The book of Colossians, Paul writes to the church at Coloss because of the ministry of a man named Epaphras. It seems that this man Epaphras heard the gospel and got saved in Ephesus, and then he took the gospel back to his town, and people got saved there, and the church was started there. And now Paul writes to the the church at Coloss now because of this man's ministry, because this man was faithful to take the gospel where he heard it, took it back to his people, they heard it, they responded to it. The book of Colossians, the purpose is to show the supremacy of Christ over all things and the meaning that has for our life. You want to study about Jesus and his authority and who he is and his supremacy over all things. Colossians is the book. Colossians is the book. First and second Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. The purpose to explain a true understanding 
of the second coming of Jesus and how to live in light of his return. We've seen that over the past two years, how the second coming will happen. We've seen a clear, correct understanding of it and what it means for our daily life. First and second Timothy, Paul now transitions from writing to churches to writing to individuals. First and second Timothy, Paul writes to his disciple Timothy. The purpose to explain the importance of godly, faithful leadership as an example in the church to reduce potential problems within the church. Paul writes to Timothy to help him understand how important godly, faithful leadership is. That it has to be there so that it's an example to everybody in the church. And when the church has godly, faithful leadership in place, it cuts down on potential problems within the church. Potential false teachings circulating in the church. And so Timothy is, first and second Timothy is all about the importance of godly leadership, how necessary it is within the church so that the church is protected from potential problems. The book of Titus, Paul writes to his co-laborer, his fellow minister, Titus. We learn that Paul has left Titus to establish elders in that town, to raise up godly leadership. The purpose of Titus is to explain the importance of godly teachers. But it's not just leadership, it's also membership. That, leadership, that, that teaching needs to be happening across the board in the church. Because it's in Titus 2 that we learn about the older men teaching the younger men, older women teaching the younger women. So it's different than Timothy because it's not strictly based on just leadership in the church being a good example. It's, it's in Titus, it's for everybody to be doing that, for teaching to be happening throughout the church and how important that is to the stability of the church. That you've got to have godly leadership in place because Titus is going to talk about elders. He's there to set up elders. But that there also has to be godly teaching taking place in other aspects of the church, not just from the leadership. And that it's all based on the teaching of God's word. Titus 2.11 Kind of highlighting the fact that we're not just teaching what we want to teach. We're teaching what God's word is teaching us individually. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us or teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. The teaching starts with God's word teaching us. And then we turn around and teach it to others. The book of Philemon, it's a short book. Paul writes to another individual. He writes specifically to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. This guy Onesimus, we're not told all the details of what happened here, but Onesimus has done something to offend Philemon, potentially stolen from Philemon, and he's fled Philemon. He's run away, and he has found relationship with Paul, um, perhaps become saved in that process. Things are, 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 are improving in Onesimus' life, understands that he's got to get things right with this Philemon. He's got to go back and make things right. And so Paul writes on his behalf and calls Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Paul admits, you know, this guy was messed up in the past. He did you wrong, but he now needs to become valuable to you. He was not valuable to you before, but he's now valuable. He is. He has made changes in his life, and you need to recognize those changes and respond accordingly. So Philemon, the purpose and the theme of Philemon it's all about showing the importance of restoration and forgiveness through conflict resolution. We don't run from our mistakes, we deal with them. 
would have been easy for Onesimus to say, that was, my, that was my past. I did people wrong in my past, but I've made changes. I do things differently now. And have never gone back to make things right with Philemon. We could have easily just dismissed that and said, that was in the past. I wasn't a Christian then. Those are, those are things that I did when I, was, when I was not a believer. But now I'm a believer. I do things differently. I'm living for Jesus. I wish I'd done things different in my past. He goes and makes things right. He goes back. He leaves Paul, leaves a guy that was probably investing in him. He goes back to make things right. We don't run from our mistakes. We make them right. It's all about conflict resolution. Book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. But the purpose or the theme is to expose the foolishness of apostatizing Jesus for something so inferior. The theme of the book of Hebrews is don't walk away from Jesus for something that's not as good as Jesus. It's written to individuals who were thinking about leaving Christianity to go back to the Old Testament. Leaving Christianity to go back to the way we did things in the past. It wants to show us that Jesus is better than everything in the Old Testament because he's the fulfillment of of it it helps explain the transition from religious ceremony to daily living with each other and there's a change in the new covenant it moves away from the religious grand ceremony that was taking place in the old testament you don't have the same type of covenant in the new testament in the new testament people are meeting in houses together they're fellowshipping i think the the personal responsibility to a degree was even greater in the new covenant than in the old Because in the old, I think you could have felt like you got away with, okay, I'm offering sacrifices, I'm trying to obey the covenant as an individual. But in the New Testament, that individual mindset is shattered. I mean, you're called to live life together with a local church. It's not just about you bringing sacrifices anymore. It's about you uh, admonishing one another and encouraging one another throughout the week. The local church becomes a big responsibility. Being a part of a local church is a big responsibility. That's why we take membership so seriously here. Because membership here at Sovereign Hope is more than just a Sunday experience. You don't just come to to worship God and then go home and say, I'm a member of Sovereign Hope. That we want to embrace the responsibility that Hebrews talks about, living out our faith weekly with other believers. Hebrews wants to show us that it's, it's dangerous and it's foolish to walk away from Jesus for something so inferior like the Old Testament system. The book of James, James is written by the half-brother of Jesus. So this is not the disciple James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He writes to Jewish Christians. The purpose or the theme is to offer practical advice on how true faith works by serving others. It's also to show us that God is always at work in our life. Specifically in trials. First and second Peter. Peter writes to Gentiles in Asia Minor. The purpose or the theme is to emphasize the need to persevere in this life. By looking to Jesus. So that one can endure persecution and avoid false teaching. Purpose is to emphasize the need to persevere in this life by looking to Jesus so that one can endure persecution and avoid 
false teachings. When I read First and Second Peter, I see a lot of similarities between First and Second Thessalonians. There's a lot of discussion about Jesus coming back. There's a lot of discussion about false teachers wanting to move us away from that hope. There's a lot of discussion about how to endure suffering and persecution and trials. So there's a lot of similarities between First and Second Peter and First and Second Thessalonians. So if you wanted to continue that type of uh, learning. You know, we come out of First and Second Thessalonians as a church. You could continue right along reinforcing some of those same things that we talked about for two years by going into First and Second Peter. There's, there's a lot of different teaching in there. There's a lot of um, other things that are discussed in those two books, but there's a lot of similarities between First and Second Thessalonians. First, Second, and Third John. John the disciple writes to the churches in Asia Minor. The purpose or the theme is to provide assurance that one is a believer, or confirmation that one is not a believer it's to provide assurance that one is a believer or confirmation that one is not a believer these three books these three letters together um work to to ask us the question do we believe in jesus do we believe in truth do we obey god and do we love others that's the three tests that these books give us for are we truly a believer or is there confirmation that we are not a believer? And the three tests are, do you believe in truth? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you obey God? And do you love others? Because if you don't, you're not a believer. You're, you're not a Christian if, those, if you fail those three tests. If you don't have a right understanding of Jesus, if you don't obey God, if you like sin better than, than obey, obeying God, and if you, um, if you don't love other people, then, then you're just not a Christian. Um, it's how we understand if we're truly saved for truly a believer the book of jude uh jude is another uh, brother of jesus or half brother of jesus he's the brother of james so these two brothers write uh his his audience is not fully known uh, but the purpose or theme is to challenge the church to contend for the faith in the midst of false teaching to challenge the church to contend for the faith in the midst of false teaching, to live faithfully in faithless times. So it's all about us as the church upholding the true faith in the midst of people that are trying to spread a false faith, living faithfully in the midst of faithless people. And then lastly, the book of Revelation. John the disciple once again writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So John has written the Gospel of John, first and second, first, second, and third John, and now he writes the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose or the theme is to show that Christ's ultimate return to establish His kingdom happens. Christ ultimately returns to establish His kingdom. It's how to find encouragement by seeing the triumphant vision of God's sovereignty over the world. I've been explaining to my sixth graders because our our curriculum this week has been on revelation and that's difficult to communicate to a sixth grader because there's there's all kinds of stuff in the book of revelation that's difficult for me to understand uh but what we've tried to highlight over the past week is that what we see in the book of revelation is that jesus wins the church wins that god is sovereign that the false prophet's not in control the dragon's not in control the beast isn't in control that that all the evil that we see in the book of revelation that that's that's playing out behind the behind the scenes as we see this cosmic struggle taking place, that none of that even has a chance in light of God's sovereign control. So, so Revelation is a book where we find encouragement. 
It's a, it's a book that we find encouragement to continue to persevere because we find out that God is completely in control despite the fact that we see a cosmic struggle taking place. Ultimately, God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that way. In the book of Revelation, we find that it happens, that his kingdom does come, that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The church triumphs. Ultimately, the call is for us to continue to trust in the keeper of promises. We said the Old Testament, promises made. New Testament, promises kept. But not all the promises have been kept yet. We still wait for promises to be kept. What we see in the New Testament is a faithful God who made promises in the Old Testament. He keeps those promises in the New Testament with Jesus. And he calls us to continue to put our trust in the one who keeps promises as we wait for the ultimate promise to come, that Jesus returns and ushers us into eternity. So that's how the New Testament kind of breaks down. We start with Jesus in the Gospels in the book of Acts. This is who Christ is. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Then we work to how that looks for God's covenant people, to live that out on a daily basis. And then we end by seeing how creation all comes together. That God is fixing a people, and ultimately he will fix all of creation at the end. All right? Um, any questions about what we've looked at today before we transition to what I want us to end with? Any questions about any of that? Anything that needs to be repeated? Again, I'm going to put this all this information on the Matt 28 website so you can kind of see how that breaks down. emphasize the need to persevere in this life by looking to Jesus so that one can endure persecution and avoid false teaching. Yep. Any other questions on any of that? All right, what I wanted us to do today is to break up into C groups and discuss um, where we stand in studying the Bible on our own. But unfortunately, Adam's teaching the kids today and Ben's in the nursery, so we're not going to do that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to seriously begin over this week to evaluate where you are in your own personal understanding of how to study the Bible. Because we did the pink card, green card thing, but obviously it doesn't tell the whole story because... Some of you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm closer to knowing how to study the Bible on my own, uh, but I'm not quite there yet. So I'm, I'm still writing down that I'm agreeing, that, that I'm not ready to teach myself from the word like I want to be. Others of you are at a point where you're saying, I don't, just don't even know where to start. Like I, I've never been able to study the Bible on my own. Um, so I need a lot of work. I need a lot of help. So I want you to be thinking through like personally, like where do you stand in being able to study the Bible on your own? And specifically, where do you want to focus your study moving forward? Um, because as we start getting uh, some of those that filled out the pink card saying, hey, I, I'm ready to, to study the Bible on my own. I'm doing that. I'm, I'm learning on my own. I, could, I feel comfortable teaching somebody else how to do that. As we start pushing those people in the direction to help those of you that feel like you still need help in that area, it's going to help us a lot in knowing exactly where you feel like you are. Like, are you a complete beginner at studying the Bible? Or, hey, I just need some help, some encouragement. Um, and then I think I can, I think I can do it. Like, I think I can begin this discipline in my life. And then also thinking through where do I want to study? Where do I want to focus my study? 
Uh, specifically, you know, looking at the New Testament as we walk through these different books. Where do I want to go? Where do I want to spend the next month, the next year, potentially, reading and studying and digesting God's Word? Where do I want to feast? Where do I want to put my focus and attention so that as we try to help you, we can uh, specifically know how to direct you in that? Um, you know, Jesse came to me and was like, man, I want to study the book of Ephesians. Like, I feel like there's some things there that I want to better understand. So I sat with him and talked with him some about that, passed on to him some commentaries from my library that I said, hey, why don't you start with these and start using this as a part of your study. And then we'll get together again and talk about how that's looking and how you're growing in that. Um, so that's something for you to personally be thinking about that. You know, it's hard if you just say, hey, I don't know how to study the Bible. and I don't even know where I want to study the Bible. Not that we can't deal with that, too, but I want you thinking through, and that's why we did this today, working through the New Testament. Where do you want to focus your attention and study? That's going to help us in helping you understand how to study the Bible. So that's kind of the application for today. It's not you know, anything big and earth-shattering. Like I'm not driving this point home. I'm just simply asking you to figure out what book of the Bible do you want to study. Um, and I want you to spend the next week or so thinking about that. Um, so that as we start trying to sit down and contact you and, and work through some of this with you, that we can kind of work off of that um, and, and start putting you in a position to succeed in studying the Bible on your own. Um, again, it's my desire that as a church we grow up in the faith. And, and my desire is that every member in our church is studying God's Word on their own. That's going to speed up the discipleship process. If our discipleship consists simply of Sunday mornings and personal meetings that we have with other people in our church, um, we're going to grow. We're just going to grow a, a lot slower than we need to be. Um, we've been gifted with God's word. We've been gifted with countless resources that can help us study God's word. There's no reason for us to always have to rely on somebody else to teach us God's word. We've got to get to the point where we can teach God's word to ourselves by studying and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us the goodness of of what's communicated to us in God's Word. So that's your challenge today. Where do you want to study? Um, and where, where exactly are you in the process of being able to study the Bible on your own um, so that we can move you towards a consistent time in the Word? So be thinking about those, things, those two things as we move forward. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for uh, the truth that's communicated to us in the New Covenant.